Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It, it's crazy just how much dopamine controls everything that we do you know you're on a social media app and you're swiping over and you're scrolling that is because dopamine is controlling that and the reality is a lot of times what we want isn't actually what we like or say you're walking by a burger joint and you can smell this burger cooking on the grill oh my gosh i want that so bad but you're on a diet i shouldn't eat this i shouldn't eat this but it smells so good ah screw it I'll, i'll get back on my diet tomorrow so you take one bite of that burger, you're like, so worth messing up my diet for this burger. And by the time you finish that burger, you're like, man, I just ruined my diet. I just slipped up because I could not control the feelings and effects of dopamine. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Nick Bear. Nick is the founder of BPN Nutrition. He's a U.S. Army veteran. He's a hybrid athlete, a YouTuber, author, and host of the Nick Bear Podcast. Today on the show, we discuss how the undisciplined can become disciplined, why this past year has been the hardest year of Nick's life, how Nick has learned to enjoy the process and not become distracted by outcomes, how someone can begin to train like a hybrid athlete, why it's better to be consistently good versus occasionally great, how his life has changed since becoming a dad, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Nick Bear to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Doug. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you as well. And I'd love to just jump right in because one of the things that you not only inspire myself and so many people about is your like level of discipline in your life and how you are just you just show up consistently every single day, no matter what, for yourself. And there's a lot of people that they want to do some of the things that you're doing, whether it is something in business, whether it's something in their health and fitness or whatever the case may be but they just can't get into a routine. They've tried everything. Maybe they've tried, they're inspired by your page and other pages, but they can't seem to figure it out. So for the average person who maybe doesn't have an opportunity to go to something like the military where you know, you're know you pretty much forced to be disciplined in a way, like how would you recommend like the undisciplined to get started with becoming disciplined? Yes, I'm actually about to record a podcast on this topic after our discussion today. And I've thought about this recently. Uh, it, it came to me during a run. And 
I think we all have the ability to choose superpowers in our life and be our own superhero. So if you look at a superhero, you know, and someone says, describe the superpowers that this superhero has, you might say they can fly, they can, you know, move and run at the speed of light. They can shoot spider webs out of their wrists. They can do all these different, they can create fire out of nothing. Like those are, those are physical superpowers that people have. These superheroes, uh, like from Marvel, for example, but we can be our own, our own superhero and we can choose our own superpowers. And what I mean by that is that if I think of the superpowers that I have chosen to work on over the last decade plus of my life, self-accountability, consistency, uh, following my, my curiosity and, and taking action on my curiosity and then courage. And I think you can be really intentional with these superpowers that you want to learn and acquire and work on on a regular basis and instill habits and routines into your life to, to maximize those. You know, consistency, that's, that's one thing that I have worked on my entire life. And I never said, you know, as a 22-year-old college student in Western Pennsylvania, Nick, you should be more consistent. I learned that through my, my family growing up. Uh, I learned a lot from my family growing up. I recently had the, the, the observation that I, I actually grew up in a pretty interesting and dynamic family where my dad's side of the family, they were dairy farmers in central Pennsylvania. My mom's side of the family, a lot of them were uh, military blue-collar workers. And what's interesting about that dynamic is my dad's side of the family being dairy farmers, they were extremely hardworking people where emotion was almost removed out of the work. You had to wake up every single morning, milk the cows. You had to milk the cows before going to bed at night. Like There was no off day. It, it was work. And it wasn't the most loving warm environment to grow up in, I would imagine, but like I learned work ethic from and through them. My mom's side of the family on the other side, they were extremely empathetic and warm and loving and caring and work was a priority, but family was a priority over top of that. So I learned these two different dynamics from both sides of my family that I've incorporated into my, my, my superpowers that I've chosen to work on over the course of my life up until this point. But I think we all have the ability and the opportunity to choose these superpowers that we want to refine and focus on that allow us to be more disciplined. I think, I think so many people, they, they want to be disciplined and they want to work on that superpower. But I think sometimes like life gets in the way and they're just so distracted and busy by other things that frankly might matter at that point in their life. And it seems that you obviously had the, the great benefit of having like these two, you know, these two different parents who showed you two very different things that have helped you become the person that you are today. Like, and I know you didn't like necessarily just say to yourself, like, Nick, I need to be more consistent or I need to develop more discipline or whatever. But like, even if somebody's listening to this and they're like, well, what's just a good step I could take to make sure that I commit to showing up to myself? Like, is it spending time with better people that can show them like how to be, you know, more disciplined? Is it, you know, small habits like what is your take on that i mean i think there's a million things you can do but you have to get out there and, and experience like you have to grow your perspective on on how to do certain things the only way to do that is put yourself out there and try and, and do and what i've learned over time you know if you look at 
the way I live my life now and so on my look at my day or my week or my month and the way I set goals and the way I accomplish goals, they might say, wow, you are extremely consistent and disciplined, but I've refined those over the last, you know, 10 plus years of my life. And I, I love the concept in Tim Grover's book, winning, talking about uh, building confidence through wins. And this is why I think it's really important to just seize opportunity and try new things. When you try new things and you try to accomplish hard things, you set a goal, you go out and accomplish it, you might fail, you might succeed. But once you finally accomplish that one win, like Tim Grover says, you build this small amount of confidence through that win. And then after you accomplish that win, you build some confidence, you set a bigger, larger goal. And you might fail multiple times in the the journey and process to get there. But once you accomplish that second win, you build more confidence and you start stacking these wins. And as you start stacking more wins, which you will obviously accumulate significant losses and failures with that, you're just building confidence. And as you build confidence, you start to realize what you are actually capable of doing. You are actually, you're realizing what your potential looks like. And, you know, if I look at if my life and my thoughts 10 years ago, what I thought was capable, what I thought my potential was, was much smaller than what I think it is today. And the only reason that has grown and my capacity has increased is because I've, I've stacked wins along the way that have built confidence. I think we have to build confidence. And as we build confidence, we get stronger, we get faster, we get, we get bigger, not just physically, but emotionally and, and spiritually and, and mentally. But we have to build this out and we have to put ourselves out there and try and fail and win and build confidence. And that's just the journey. And it takes time. You have to be patient with that process. You can't rush that. You have to build it. You can't buy it. If I could go buy confidence, I mean, that'd be powerful. Like if I, if I could package up confidence and put it in a capsule and sell it, I, I would be Elon Musk, right? Like I would be the next Elon Musk, but you can't necessarily do that. You have to build it and, and to build it, it takes time, but it is sustainable and you can't take that away from someone once you build it. It's like, it's bulletproof. Yeah. Before we got started, you mentioned to me that this last year has been like the biggest year of growth for you. Like, why did you say that? This past year has, has been the largest year in terms of professional and personal growth. Uh, it's also probably been the hardest year of my life. Because there were a lot of transitions that I experienced. One, I stepped down from the CEO role in my business. Uh, and I put Kat Thomas in the CEO role. Amazing entrepreneur, uh, founder, operator, CEO. So like, I navigated that transition. And then my wife and I had our first uh, child. Our, our daughter, Charlie Grace, was born. She just turned one like two a month ago. So like learning how to be a dad and being less selfish and prioritizing family for, I'd say, the first time in my life, those two transitions felt like a, a quarter-life crisis, and I thought I was going through a crisis. And then I found uh, – I did a lot of self, self-help, self a lot of self-work in this past year, and I found this book by Arthur Brooks, and it's called From Strength to Strength. Arthur Brooks is a social scientist. Um and this book talks all about how what we think is a midlife or quarter life crisis that we're going through is actually just a transition. 
and we experience these life transitions every 12 to 18 months. They could be massive and significant, or they could be smaller. It could be death in the family. It could be destruction. You you could have started a family, got married, got divorced, could have got sick, could have got cancer. Like all these things could have happened. But we're trying to navigate these transitions in life, which are going to happen, and we have to invite them and navigate them. But they often feel like a crisis, and I thought I was going through a crisis in the the first part of, of this past year to then realize that it was just a transition or multiple transitions that were stacked on top of each other. And like I said, I did a lot of uh, self-work, uh, a lot of reading, a lot of studying, and I've grown so much in the process. I've gained so much more perspective. And this kind of like leans back into why I think establishing and honing in on these superpowers is so important because it keeps you focused. It keeps you focused and it lets, it lets you refine and build on your strengths to make you stronger emotionally and spiritually and mentally. It helps, helps your relationships. It helps your work. It helps your relationship with yourself. Um, this past year has been a huge growth year for me. And I will look back at 2023, the year that I stepped down from my business as a CEO, moved into the founder role, the year that we, we started our family as this pivotal year that changed the whole trajectory of my life. What's been the biggest thing personally, I guess, specifically that you've had to work on in order to like use this past year to your advantage? I think one of the biggest things that I, I realized is uh, I, I just recently read a article in the Atlantic about this and it said, your profession is not your personality. And I see so many people confuse these two because I've been there myself. You see it with people transitioning out of the military. You see it with people transitioning out of a business or an operator role. You see it from people uh, transitioning out of athletics, whether collegiate or professional. And it's really easy to make your identity or make your profession your identity. Like I'm Nick Bear. I'm the CEO of Bear Performance Nutrition, or I'm Nick Bear, the YouTuber. I'm Nick Bear, the author. Like if someone asks you, like, you know, Doug, like, who are you? Tell me who you are. And you say, like, oh, I'm, I'm an author. Well, like, that's what you do. But who are you? And I think it's really easy to to tie our profession with our personality or our identity. And I think it's really important to separate those two. And that's something I had to learn this past year is that your profession is not necessarily your full identity. And uh, that that navigating that has been challenging and difficult, but it's been so rewarding. And that's now how I'm trying to use my platform and my content is just sharing people or sharing with people what I'm going through and, and being vulnerable and what I'm struggling with as a new dad and as a husband and as a business leader and all these things that I do in my life, but separating work from who I am, it has been like a, a work in progress. So how do you see yourself now? Because it seems like in the past, obviously you had an identity in the military. You've had an identity with building the business. You've had an, had an identity with a YouTuber, just your fitness and all the endeavors you've accomplished from that perspective. Like who have you, what have you discovered about yourself that like shapes who you are now? Well, I'm still navigating that. I've, I have by no means figured it out. Uh, 
to, to, to I'll, I'll tell a story and then I'll kind of talk about kind of where I'm at right now. So as me and my wife were getting married a few years ago, we went to premarital counseling and uh, a lot of our issues that we were experiencing in our relationship and then early on in our marriage was because I was a workaholic. Uh, and I used to be so proud of that. Like just work, work till you die, work, work, work from 5 a.m. till midnight. And I was so proud of that. And then to realize like there's collateral damage that comes with that. So we were at premarital counseling and uh, the, the counselor, the therapist goes, Nick, who are you without your business? And I was instantly offended. I was like, F you. Like, who, who are you to tell me, like, tell me that? And it stuck with me. It was like a thorn in my side for a long time because I was offended by that question. And then as I've grown over this past year, I reflect back on that session. And I'm like, okay, this makes sense of, of what you were trying to get to. Now, my mission, uh, my, my purpose in life, my mission, like that is my guiding North star of where I'm trying to get to and who I want to be. My meaningful mission as Lewis house references a lot, especially in his, his last book can evolve and change. Like right now I'm trying to be, and I want to be through the, the content that I'm producing and releasing a role model for people around my age of how to navigate their professional career in being so just ambitious and driven and ruthless to the point of building what they want to build, but also showing up as either a husband or a wife or a mother or a a father and balancing that, you know, having deep, meaningful relationships and feeling fulfilled and happy and having purpose. You know, like the, the word balance gets slashed all the time, but I, I think we, we, we should thrive in a world of balance where, yes, we are extremely ambitious in our work, but we are also very empathetic and um, selfless in our, our relationships and prioritizing family. But it's not, it's not, all consumed in one and then throwing away the other. It's not, you know, swinging the pendulum from the left to the right and neglecting other responsibilities that you prioritize others. It's just showing up in a meaningful way for all of your, your obligations and responsibilities in your life. That is the balance that I'm trying to achieve. It's hard and I'm still navigating it, but I can honestly say that there have been many times in my life where I have prioritized just work and I've neglected every other part of my life. And uh, I don't necessarily want to get back to that point because when you do that, you don't necessarily find, from my experience, the fulfillment and happiness that you hope to achieve through that that journey. You talked about how this past year was like the hardest year of your life. And I've also heard you talk about purpose and mission and impacting helping others. And I know this was a lot of what your mom taught you. And the lessons that she shared with you. And I know that one of the hardest moments in your life was when she passed away. I guess it's been like a little over four years ago. Talk about your relationship with your mom. Because I know that just watching some of your content, watching the way you speak about her, it's really she's really shaped who you are today. So talk about, about like why your relationship with her was so special and what she's taught you. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if I look at like it's me and my brother. Um, he's I only have one brother. And... 
My parents only had two kids, me and, me and Preston. My brother Preston is just like my dad. They're like the same person. Me and my mom are the same person. Even my, my, my brother looks like my dad. I look like my mom. And my mom passed away 2019 from ovarian cancer. It was extremely aggressive. By the time she was diagnosed, to the time she passed away, it was six months. It was very fast and aggressive. And uh, she was she was a uh, a supervisor in the special education department in the school district that I grew up in, the school I went to. Uh, she coached. Special Olympics in our hometown. She was very actively involved in the church, in the community, extremely selfless, very caring and giving and, and super warm and empathetic. My mom worked really hard. She was like very, very ambitious, but she was also very warm and loving and caring and inviting. And like I said, selfless. So I learned from my mom how to balance those two disciplines and she never had to tell me she just showed me i i watched her growing up uh giving back to the community and going and coaching special olympics after work and spending you know extra time with her students and the curriculum and her program at school where like i said she she taught special education and life skills so i watched her and how she prioritized people and family, but also her work. And uh, I learned a lot just from observing and, and watching her growing up. That's so beautifully said, man. And it's just like really amazing that you've been able to have this perspective like on that and see like the silver lining in a, in a really like, traumatic and, and horrible situation and what happened to her. And I think, I mean, what struck me as something that's really, really heartfelt was how you arranged to have your mom watch you and Steph get married before she passed. If you could tell that story, I think it would really um, inspire people because I think this just encapsulates like, how much you really value the relationship with your mom. Yeah. So we, uh, Steph and I were engaged at that time and my dad called me and my brother one day we were in Texas because at, at the peak of when my mom was sick, it was also the peak of building the business. Not the peak of building the business, but it was a really hard time in, in in starting and getting the business off the ground. It was just three of us at the time, pretty much. Me, my brother, and then John Byers, who still works for us in, in the operations department of BPN. And at this time, it was nonstop work. You know, We're just trying to get the business off the ground, and it was growing, it was scaling, but it was still nonstop work, seven days a week. From 5 a.m. until midnight, just, you know, any founder, any entrepreneur can relate to what it takes to get a business off the ground. And my dad called us one day, and obviously we knew my mom was going through treatment, but like we just we couldn't make it back to Pennsylvania as much as we wanted to, just because of the demand of of the business. My dad calls us, and I think he kind of kept us out of the loop of how fast the cancer was aggressing. Uh, or progressing. And he said, Hey, they gave your mom uh, one week to live. You guys got to get back to Pennsylvania like right now. So me and my brother hopped on a flight that night, flew back to Pennsylvania. Uh, she was in the ICU. A few days later, she got released from the ICU to go back home to be on hospice. She was on hospice in our, our home that we grew up in for maybe four, 
or five days before she passed away. But before she passed away, Steph and I, we knew she was obviously going to miss our wedding. So we did a small ceremony in the living room with uh, friends and family in front of my mom. The pastor of the church that we grew up in came and did the ceremony. And uh, it, it wasn't an official wedding. You know, we had an official wedding afterwards, but it was a ceremony to have my mom be a part of it. And it was a very special moment that I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, it was very emotional. It was hard, but I'm so glad that she was able to experience that before she passed away. And I also understand that at her funeral, it helped to like reinforce the way that you saw success. And I think it's, it's easy in your situation, in any situation where you're running a business, you have a platform, you have a podcast, you, the metrics can be, you know, it, it can be easy to get caught up in all the metrics of all of that and view that as the way to be successful. But I know like her going to her funeral, it taught you like the importance of, of impact and purpose and mission. Um, like how do you how do you view all that and and keep yourself focused on that part of success and fulfillment and not being distracted from all the numbers? I mean, the the reality is the numbers are important, right? Like to build a healthy, sustainable business, you can't neglect or ignore the numbers. You have to focus on EBITDA and profitability and as the business grows and scales, there's there's more overhead, there's payroll, there's expenses, like but I've gotten to a point where I could, you know, build out a team to support those operations of the business so I don't have to necessarily worry about them all the time. I'm still aware, but we have, you know, Kat as our CEO and Josh as our CFO, and we have a finance department and team in the business that focuses on those numbers. And part of me moving out of the CEO role truly in a founder in what we call a visionary role is because we have implemented EOS, which is the entrepreneurial operating system based off the book Traction into our business. And it's been extremely powerful and beneficial. And by implementing EOS, there's someone that sits in the visionary role. That's typically the founder, but can also be a CEO. And I sit in that visionary role now. So my main focus is brand awareness, brand amplification, and and storytelling. And through that, it's how do we accomplish our mission? How do we how do we maintain this aspirational feel around go one more? How do we impact lives? I'm not necessarily worried anymore about what are day-to-day sales and what's profitability in in are we hitting EBITDA margins? That's not necessarily my area of focus anymore. It's how are we impacting the world? How are we impacting the people? How are we showing up and supporting others to not only accomplish their performance, endurance, and wellness goals, but also show up as a better friend and husband and wife and parent and you know employee, employer. That's like a huge responsibility and obligation that I feel, but that's the power that Go One More has, the power that the brand has, the power of the platform that I've built over this last decade has the ability to to create. And that's where I'm focused. It's how do we make this place a better place through content, storytelling, and and true, vulnerable, uh, valuable, relatable information that, that we're experiencing on a daily basis. It's not fake. It's not fluff. It's true. It's authentic. It's genuine. You talked about how you stepped down from 
you know, the CEO role at, at BPN and that you've also had some, you know, transformations happen personally within that, like what's been the, the process like for you at, at getting better at like letting go? Cause I feel like that's something that, you know, people that are in your role would really, you know, grapple with given, you know, your, your background and what you've built and stuff like that. Yeah. The, the decision to step down from the CEO role just kind of happened naturally. So Kat Thomas came on board to work for BPN uh, with no intent of her ever actually moving into the CEO role. At first, she was a chief revenue officer and really started working the operations side of the business to identify inefficiencies uh, and maximize sustainability. So it was a very tight area of focus there. And as Kat started working at BPN uh, longer and you know, we got to know each other better and, and work together on, on bigger projects. It honestly was a very natural, organic conversation. Like I, I sat down with Kat one day and I said, hey, like I really just want to focus on brand awareness and amplification and, and leading vision. And I think you'd be the perfect CEO. Will you be the CEO? And she said, Nick, if, if, you, if you want me to be the CEO, if you truly want me to, I will be the CEO. I said, I want you to. Like You are the like." I didn't have any plans of stepping down from this role this year, but if if I'm going to step down, you're the person that needs to be in the, the seat. So it was a very natural, organic just evolution and, and transition of uh, positions. And I'm not a, an extremely controlling person, even with the business. Like I don't micromanage. Um, I definitely add my two cents when I see something that is not going in a direction that I'd be proud of or happy about. But I, I believe that I delegate and elevate people in the business. So like having letting go of control hasn't necessarily been an issue that I experienced through the transition. What has been challenging though is and something that we've recently identified and kind of created some solutions for is you know when you build something over 10 years, you kind of you touch every part of the business and you build these relationships in the business and and even after stepping down from a position it's it's it was a natural just it was not a natural transition to let go of certain things to get involved in certain departments or uh maintain certain management relationships and i was what i found is i was unintentionally undermining some of the leadership's ability and duties and responsibilities in the business because I was still maintaining some of these duties and responsibilities myself. So I realized that this was something that I I was doing incorrectly. I had to I pull myself back even more to allow people to operate in their area of genius, what they were hired to do, and, and their roles and responsibilities so it wasn't necessarily an issue of letting go of control, but just being too involved in other people's business that I had to learn how to get better at. Yeah, that makes sense. And one of the other things that I wanted to make sure we definitely covered is dopamine. When I came down to record on your podcast, which again, thank you so much for having me on. It was an awesome conversation. You were fascinated with the book, The Molecule of More and, and dopamine. Like why that book? Like why was that so meaningful for you? That was actually a book that Kat recommended that I read. And Steph and I were on our baby moon in Florida and I took this hard copy of the book, The Molecule of More, 
with no in, in, intentions or expectations of what it was about. And as I started reading it, it was all about dopamine and how dopamine controls our lives. And I just found it extremely fascinating. I've read it probably four or five times since since I first picked it up. Uh, I actually had the author, one of the authors on the podcast to talk about dopamine and the molecule of more. And uh, it, it's crazy just how much dopamine controls everything that we do. If we look at the phone that we carry in our hand on a daily basis, that is a machine that was created and has evolved to control our mind through dopamine. You know, you're on a social media app and you're swiping over and you're scrolling. That is because dopamine is controlling that. Dopamine controls, you know, what we decide to eat, what we decide to buy, what we think we want or think we need. And the reality is a lot of times what we want isn't actually what we like. You know, think of the things that you've wanted to buy so badly at one point in your life. You can't stop thinking about it. You just want to buy it. You just want to buy it. You just want to buy it. And you finally buy it. And you're like, wow, I finally got it. And a week later, you forget you even have it. Right? Like it's it's not that big of a deal. Or say you're walking by a a burger joint and you can smell this burger cooking on the the grill. You're like, oh my gosh, I want that so bad. But you're on a diet. You're like, I shouldn't eat this. I shouldn't eat this. But it smells so good. Ah, screw it. I'll, I'll get back on my diet tomorrow. So you take one bite of that burger, you're like, so worth it. So worth messing up my diet for this burger. And by the time you finish that burger, you're like, man, I just ruined my diet. I just like, I just slipped up because I could not control the feelings and effects of dopamine. And just having more awareness around it, and if you can control your ability to act on these feelings of dopamine, you can ultimately have more discipline in your life. Like being able to control dopamine is discipline. And that's a muscle that as you you train, it adapts, it grows, it becomes stronger. And I've ever since reading that book and recognizing that there's a reason I want certain things and when I want those things and I get them, I might not like them. It's allowed me to make decisions more intentionally and deliberately and fight these temptations and have so much discipline and control over my life. I want to get into temptations because I think a lot of times when people are on a diet or they're trying to achieve a fitness goal, they get distracted with these temptations. Like you mentioned the burger and then people like think about how good it's going to be and then they eat it and they're like, oh, like why did I do that? And sometimes the that feeling can subside in an hour and sometimes it doesn't go away for like days. Like how do you deal with temptation when you're hyper-focused on achieving something? Uh, I mean, the way that I used to, it, it's evolved. It's changed. Like I said, it's a, it's a muscle that the more stimulus it's provided to it and the more you train it, the better it gets. I'm tempted by very little things now where if, if, if say, five years ago and I was on a diet and you put a burger in front of me, I might be pretty tempted to eat that burger and I might even eat that burger. But now I could be two weeks out from a bodybuilding show and you put a burger in front of me, you put a fan behind it, you blow that like bacon charcoal smell right in my face. I can sit there and watch it all day and be like, no, nope, I'm good. Like my goals, my ambitions, what I'm working towards are so much greater than 
the the short term uh, feelings I'm going to get euphoria of just eating this burger. So I would say like it is something that has to be just like confidence has to build. The ability to fight temptations is something you have to build as well, and discipline is something you can you can build like a muscle. But there has to be a stimulus applied in order for that muscle to grow. Like you have to be tempted. If you're not ever tempted, you don't know how to use that muscle or flex that muscle. Do you ever find yourself or have you found yourself, I should say, having like an unhealthy relationship with dopamine in the context of like health and wellness? Meaning like if you run a marathon, it's like, oh man, now I got to do more. Or if I do, you compete in a bodybuilding competition, it's like, well, what's next? I got to do more. Do you ever grapple with that? All the time. Um, but I think, I don't know if I'd say it's an unhealthy relationship, but it's one of those things where you do something and you thought it was nearly impossible and then you do it and you realize it wasn't that bad. It was hard, but I bet you I could push it a little bit further, you know, and that's just the evolution of improving and getting better. If we're not evolving, we're dying, right? So I think we need that healthy obsession to get better. I think it can turn into an unhealthy obsession. Um, I'm not necessarily competitive with other people. I'm competitive with myself. I want to see how far I can push myself. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of people on the podcast and I ask them, do you consider yourself a competitive person? And, And they typically always say yes. They compete against other people. And I find this is where I'm might be unique or different where I don't ever feel like I'm competing with anyone else. Uh, I'm doing this race in a few days in in, uh, in Maine. It's called the Last Man Standing Ultra. And all these people are reaching out that are doing it too. They're like, my goal is to beat you. And I'm like, I hope you do. Like, I, I, I hope you do. Like, I'm trying to push my body to see how far I can I can go. But like, I wish you the best. Like, I'm, not, I'm not going out there to compete with anyone else. I'm pushing me to see how far I can go. I'm seeing how like, I want to do one more loop. And what I I thought I could do, you know, from the previous loop. So I'm constantly trying to make myself better and compete with the previous version of myself, not necessarily other people. I know something recently that you've been talking a lot about and that you've been excited about has been this hybrid athlete program. And from what I've seen, like your big push with it is you're really trying to focus on longevity and health and saying, listen, like we, I want you to be strong and I want you to be cardiovascularly healthy. Um, like how has your perception or how has your view on like health and wellness changed over the years? And why do you think that people should really be focused on training like a hybrid athlete? I mean, when I first started training, it was uh, primarily all around bodybuilding. When I was in high school and early college. I was obsessed with the bodybuilding space. So this is like 2009 to 2013. And I was obsessed with the Jay Cutlers and the Ronnie Coleman's and going to the Arnold Fitness Expo. And I got obsessed with the supplement industry and the supplement space, which is ultimately why I started a supplement company in 2012. My my opinions and my thoughts and my my training principles have evolved as has my company and, and what we offer and how we present the brand. You know, when I first started getting into fitness, like I said, it was around bodybuilding. And then from there... I started to learn more and study more. I went to school. I, I earned a, a bachelor's degree in nutrition. And while I was studying nutrition in college, a lot of the 
area of focus of study was around cardiovascular disease and diabetes. So I started looking at nutrition, not only from a performance perspective and lens, but also a uh, health span, lifespan lens. So I started learning and studying more about health. So I started seeing myself in this area where I valued and appreciated performance and I valued and appreciated health and wellness. And I wanted to find a bridge between those two because at the time it seemed like they were polar opposites, which is, it's crazy to think and say, but you know, 2012 was a different time of the, the fitness space. And through that evolution and journey, I found the way you bridge the gap between performance and wellness, in my opinion, is through endurance. And as more information and credible studies and credible people have been coming out and talking about this, it's not just sports and performance and training around aesthetics anymore, but also health and longevity and, like I said, lifespan and health span. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I found and I believe that the hybrid athlete training model, which incorporates both strength training and an emphasis on resistance training, but also cardiovascular conditioning, improving VO2 max and aerobic capacity, those two things are equally as important as the other. And they focus not only on performance and aesthetics, but also health, wellness, and longevity. And I believe it's the ultimate and best way to train and it's the way most people should be training at some sort of level of capacity. It doesn't mean every single day you're going to the gym and you're running 10 miles. You know, those might be extremes, but incorporating some sort of level of resistance training and cardiovascular conditioning into your life every single week is and should be a priority. How do you recommend somebody like get started with that. Like maybe they follow you and they see you, you know, you're putting in like eight to 10 miles every day and you're, and you're, and you're strength training. And they're like, well, I want to maybe eventually get to that. Or I admire Nick for doing that. But right now I'm just trying to get into some sort of rhythm. Where do you think is a good starting place? Yeah, we just released a YouTube video talking about this. I think a good starting place is, you know, three cardiovascular conditioning centers, uh, sorry, sorry, three cardiovascular conditioning workouts per week and then three strength training workouts per week. Now you might not be able to get six, six sessions in per week, but you know, you have to look at what are your goals right now? I'm training for an ultra marathon and a marathon. So obviously my running mileage is higher than it normally would be. And I've pulled back on some of my strength training, but if my goal was to be stronger, then I would be incorporating more strength training and less cardiovascular conditioning training. So you have to look at your goals and you have to be honest with yourself of how much time do I have to train and how much time do I want to train? You might not want to train six times a week. You might want to train four times a week. Well, how do I add some cardio in there and some strength? And it's just finding that balance, but you don't have to be training for a, a big race or a big competition, but it's just baby steps. You know, maybe you start by walking and then it's a run walk and then it's a full run and you're increasing mileage and intensity and in volume over time. But progressive overload is how you get better. And progressive overload is it's the intentionality behind adding more volume onto your training. That could be time on feet or mileage or 
weight or reps or sets over time to facilitate growth and adaptation. You've you spent the last like 11 years building BPN and, you, and it started, you know, in like your college dorm room. And you also have, are in pretty insane shape now. And, but it, you didn't start there. It's been this long journey, this long process of continuing to work on yourself and showing up for yourself every single day, you know, you know, over the, the course of the last like decade plus at least. Right. Like, what have you learned as far as like being able to trust the process, enjoy the process and not focus so much on like these goals and targets, which are important, but I think can be big distractions for people if they're not careful. It's one of those things. It's, it's easier said than done. Um, there's still times where I get focused on the end result and the finish line. But what I found is sometimes that end result and that finish line isn't where you think it's going to be. Now that, that, that finish line, that end result might be five to 10 years to the right from where you thought it was going to be. So if you keep chasing that finish line and it keeps getting pushed to the right, you're like a horse that's chasing a carrot. You know, you're, you're just, you're burning the candle from both ends. And maybe you don't want a finish line. Maybe there is no finish line to certain things. Uh, obviously, there's milestones. There's mile markers. There's accomplishments that you can accomplish and reach. But for certain things, I don't think there is a finish line. And I think you're going to find a whole lot more enjoyment and fulfillment and happiness if you can find a way to enjoy the process rather than the outcome. We had uh, we had Sal from Mind Pump media on the podcast probably like two years ago at this point and he said the man that enjoys walking will walk further than the man who loves the destination so like when you find a way to enjoy and appreciate the journey and the process it's more fun it's more sustainable you're not going to feel like you're 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 chasing this carrot that's dangling in front of you. Um, I think it's it's the only way to live like a sustainable, healthy life as opposed to, to sprinting from one thing to the next over and over again when you don't know if that finish line even exists. I know one of the things that you, you've said that parallels this is it's better to be consistently good than occasionally great. And I think there is a lot of information out there that's like you should be great you should be the best that you can be you should be ultra successful and all these things which i think there's certainly a time and place for that but i think it can get people focused on like just being a flash in the pan and just getting to that you know goal or whatever and they don't understand that it takes a lot to maintain that in your life like why do you think it's been so important to be just consistently good versus just trying to be you know great for a short period of time i'm in it for the long the long game the long term yeah, I'm more concerned about building a reputation and uh, a legacy and a team and a lifetime lifetime of work as opposed to like you said a flash in the pan. And uh, you can't make the same level of impact on other people or yourself if you're constantly trying to be occasionally great. There's no substance. There's no context. There's there's nothing you're learning through that process and that journey. It, it's more flashy. It's more showboaty. It's more for a photo on Instagram, the occasionally great. The consistently good isn't as sexy by any means. And it's often ignored 
until that consistency compounds to this big, you know, accumulation of, of success. But if you can find joy and fulfillment in the process and consistency, like that will compound to much larger than any occasionally great milestone will ever be as a flash in the pan. And I know one of the things that truly helps you over the years is to like harness the haters and not pay attention to what people say. And I think when people are starting things that maybe might seem odd to somebody else or starting something that somebody else doesn't agree with, people can say certain things and then oftentimes their opinions can derail somebody from like pursuing that, pursuing that thing. How have you learned to like really tune out the haters and not let them get to you over the years while building what you've built? I mean, it's hard to say like criticism uh, will never sting and hate will never sting. Like I think you have to be pretty uh, non-existent or an alien to say that criticism doesn't hurt. I think it always will. But I found a way just to, I don't want to say ignore it, but not expose myself to it. Like so many people when they're creating they're guided through the creation process based off of feedback and criticism. And they end up creating and saying and talking about things or doing things that aren't actually authentic and genuine to themselves. But it's a, it's a result through manipulation of feedback and criticism. And I'd rather create things, say things, do things that are authentic to myself as opposed to guided from other people's opinions and thoughts on what I'm working towards. And also, I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I'm not trying to prove anyone else wrong. It's probably one of the same reasons I'd say I'm I'm not very competitive with other people. I'm trying to prove myself right. I'm trying to, to show myself what I can do in this lifetime and what potential I can reach, what confidence I can build, what impact I can make on other people, myself and my family. And that's like the, you know, the foundation of the way I make decisions and I guide my, my life. I know that one of the, the things you mentioned that's been – like a big turning point for your growth is, is becoming a dad. Talk a bit about like what that's been like, how that's changed you as a man, how that's changed you as a human. I mean, it's been the greatest thing and the hardest thing uh, of my entire life. And for, for most of my life, I've, I've, I would arguably say like, I've been able to be pretty selfish with my time in my work and having a daughter and, Starting and growing a family has taught me how selfless you have to be. Now, I experienced you know, selfless service in the military and building a business, but having a daughter, having a child is just like another level from what I've experienced. And you can't be selfish with your time, your energy, you have to be more intentional with the way that you show up and actively, not just passively, actively show up. And it's just taught me so much about what I want my current life to look like with my family, how I want to be involved with my children as they grow and develop, um, and my relationship with my children as they get older and as I get older and what that looks like. And again, I, I, I don't think you can do that passively. It has to be done actively through work. And I'm trying to navigate that chapter of how involved do you get? How, 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 how much, you know, my daughter's only one, but it's only a few years before it's like, how much leadway do you give them? Like, how much control do you implement? How, 
how involved do you get? And it's going to be fun. But like it, having a kid from what I've learned and realized is there are certain things you can do in business that are pretty black and white and objectively measured. But being a a father or even being a husband, like you can't objectively measure that. It, it's like, that's subjectively measured. And it's truly subjectively measured by the people you are directly impacting, being my wife and my my daughter. Now, people on the internet always tell me, Nick, you're such a good father. You're such a good husband. And my response in my head is, how do you know? You see a you see a photo or a video on Instagram of me feeding my daughter breakfast every morning. That doesn't tell you anything about the type of father or husband I am. So I'm being evaluated. I'm being graded from the the subjective feedback from my wife and my children as they grow and as they develop and the people they become. So I think that's a huge responsibility to to hold. What's been a lesson that your daughter's taught you over the past year? That work isn't everything and that your profession doesn't have to be your personality and that my daughter won't care how much money I made or how many businesses I've built or how many YouTube subscribers I have. She won't care about any of that stuff. She'll care about what I'm assuming she'll care about is how involved I am in her life and our family and how I show up as a leader for for our family and um that it's taught me a lot. You know, it's still early on. She's she's only one, but uh it's made me have a whole different perspective on the way I approach priorities. I would imagine that over the last year there's been sleepless nights. I think I saw you posting something, was it I think it was yesterday you were up at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning or that something with your night. daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sure there's been many of those over the last year. And I think a lot of times in situations like that, people sacrifice their own health, their own needs, which I, and obviously might be warranted in some cases, but doing that over a long period of time, that could really cost you. How do you, how do you continue to show How do you continue to show up for yourself? Even when you're feeling tired, even when life gets hard? I mean, it's pretty simple. I just ask myself if it matters to you or I tell myself if it matters to you, you will make time. And like, I, I don't, I don't try to war game it. I don't try to negotiate with my non-negotiables. It's just like, Nick, if this matters to you, you will make time. If you need to, I mean, last night's a clear example. She, my daughter, but she never does this, but last night she did. She woke up at 1130 PM. She was screaming, crying until 230 AM. I think she has like some, some teeth breaking through and she never does that. So me and my wife were up from 1130 to 230 and my alarm went off at five and I went out and I logged nine miles and I came back and I gave her breakfast when she woke up and. We did our same normal morning routine as always, but that run mattered to me because it's the only time of the day I can get that run in. And because it matters to me, I made time. It's awesome. You got to just keep showing up for yourself, even when like you're you're hurt, or even when like you're you know emotionally or mentally hurt. You got to keep showing up for yourself, and even when you're when you're tired. The last thing I want to ask you is that you inspire so many people between your podcast, between BPN, between your YouTube channel. Like who and what inspires you? Yeah, I, I've I've gotten this question frequently when I'm interviewed on podcasts and discussions, and I used to like just throw out people's names that I thought other people would wanna would want me to say. Um, but the reality is, 
my family inspires me. Like I'm driven by my family. I'm driven by the employees here at BPN, the leaders here at BPN. Uh, I'm constantly reading books and listening to uh, podcast interviews and reading studies and reading articles. And I don't know if I can, I can say like there's actually like someone directly who influences and impacts me all the time because I'm, I'm pulling so many different perspectives from different platforms and information. I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sure that I'm not just pulling content from one source in one narrative and one perspective, but from so many different perspectives uh, to avoid this echo chamber. But like, at its fundamental core, my my family, my team, our employees, the leaders of my business that I'm a part of, that's who inspires and guides me. That's well said. Well, I think people are going to want to connect with you if they haven't already, and they're going to want to listen to your podcast. They're going to want to subscribe to your YouTube channel and check out BPN. Like, Where's the best place for people to go if they want to check out more of your stuff? If you go to YouTube, just type in Nick Bear, B-A-R-E. Um, we have over 900 videos of documenting the last decade of my life on YouTube, Instagram. It's Nick bear fitness. I host a podcast called the Nick bear podcast. And then my supplement company that I have, I've operated and owned for the last decade plus is bear performance nutrition. It's BPN subs.com. I'll be sure to link that stuff in the show notes. Nick, thank you so much again for coming on. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate you.